Hello, everyone. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to those of you tuning in. My name is Leslie Lamb, and I'm the host and producer of the Crypto Unstacked podcast. For regular listeners of The Real Vision Show, it's great to have you back for another episode. Today's episode continues our theme of exploring digital fashion and the metaverse. Shashi and Nick are co-founders of UNXD, a curated marketplace for digital luxury and culture, and the team behind Dolce & Gabbana's debut NFT drop. In short, Shashi and Nick are awesome creators of culture. Guys, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Thank you very much. So prior to founding UNXD, both of you led Nervora, the Middle East's premier digital media company that includes a portfolio of global brands that we're familiar with, uh, specifically Vogue Arabia and Wired Middle East. Shashi, why don't you kick it off and tell us about your founding story there and your path to exploring the intersection of technology, of media and fashion. Nick, we'll circle back to you uh, afterwards and then we'll get more into UNXD. Fantastic. So I, I initially came to the Middle East uh, almost immediately after university. I was 21 at the time. I had been out of university for about six months and uh, came from San Francisco and landed in the Middle East without ever having been to the region before. I was working for a consulting company that had bought a company in the Middle East and became the fastest growing region in, in the world uh, for the brand. And then so people needed to come to the region. So I came without having any prior experience here in the region and kind of fell in love with the feeling of being able to create without limitation here uh, and the level of ambition that uh, existed here in the region. Uh, so this was back in 2007. And in 2009, I started working for the government of the UAE and in that role uh, was specifically tasked with building a indigenous media sector. And so part of that role entailed doing partnerships with international media companies to bring them into the region. Uh, fell in love with the opportunity there uh, and decided that working in the private sector would be a little bit more my speed. Uh, so this was in 2009 uh, and Nick and I had known each other for a number of years by that point. He had gone to university with my sister and we met in San Francisco and we started talking about how we could bring some of what we knew uh, from places that we'd been in before, like San Francisco, like the US, into the region. Uh, so we started working on what became the concept of Nevora in late 2009. Uh, we got launched with a partnership with Condé Nast, uh, which is the parent company of brands like Vogue and, and Wired. And I guess the, the rest is history. So we, we basically leaned in very hard into that relationship. We launched uh, Condé Nast's first publication in the Middle East in 2012 which was a digital fashion publication called style.com. Uh, and so our background in fashion is actually much longer than our background in crypto. It's been about a decade that we've been in the fashion space. Then in 2016, we actually became the youngest team to ever launch a, an edition of Vogue when we launched Vogue in the region. And it was a series of firsts for Vogue as a brand. It was the first time Vogue ever launched digital first. It was the first time Vogue ever launched across an entire region as opposed to a single country. It was the first bilingual launch for, for Vogue. And um, became a very, very successful edition. Uh, we've become one of the largest editions of Vogue in the world over the last five years. Uh, the magazine actually turns five next month. Um, then along the way, we launched Vogue Man and Vogue Living. 
and also wired. Uh, and so in many ways, what we're doing in the culture space really sits at the intersection of the domains of these two brands, Vogue from a fashion, luxury, and creativity standpoint, and wired mm -hmm. from a technology and internet culture standpoint. And I think culture is really the, the word that we would lean into here. Uh, we'd like to think of ourselves as creators and curators of culture first, that just so happen to be enabled by technology, as opposed to a tech platform that's in search of culture, or as we like to say, in search of soul. I like that. <laughs> Nick, what is your story? It's very well, much well, intertwined with Shashi's, it seems. Yeah, it runs <laughs> parallel to, to, to Shashi's. So, I, I mean, back in 2005, I, I got my start in the media space uh, working at, at TechCrunch as uh, one of the first writers there. Uh, you know, if you're if you're not familiar with it, TechCrunch was one of the first blogs to cover startups and technology out of the Bay Area. Um, I slept on the, like Mike Arrington's couch and stuff like that. So it was like the it was the early days there, covering all these wow. Web two startups as they were as they were popping up. Um, then progressed through um, uh, uh, another social media company. And Shashi and I had always known each other, and he just bugged me enough uh, enough times about getting together and doing something that eventually, and after chatting in 2009, uh, flew out to Dubai to crash on his couch for a little while while getting set up in Dubai and having my own kind of uh, uh, journey into, um, into a, a new startup. Um, I come at, the, I think, everything from a little bit more of the, the technical side of things, thinking about how these things are going to, to work together. I, I come at things a little bit more from a, the technical side of things. And so kind of when we got together, we were kind of running through creating a um, uh, some kind of an advertising solution um, and media solution out there. And what started off as, as something that was going to be um, just an, an ad space uh, or, or an ad network kind of grew into a, what's now a mini publishing empire out in, in the Middle East. Um, uh, and I think we can kind of take it from there. Absolutely. I mean, this, this ecosystem of media, I think, plays such a big role in Web3. I had this running thesis that really every crypto company out there is eventually going to become a media company in some way, shape or form. Uh, doesn't matter if you're an exchange, uh, you're, you know, a DeFi protocol or something completely different, um, you know, means of being able to communicate what you do and, you know, who you're going to reach is so core to crypto as an ecosystem because so few people in the world, let's let's face it, actually understand all the different verticals that are kind of popping up in crypto, right? So it's, I think it's advantageous for you guys to have come from this background of media and communications and of course, all the other things related to culture um, through the work that you've done. Yeah, I think so much of what we do is about narrative. And I think having been so deep in the trenches on figuring out what narratives work, how to spend the the, the right amount of time and attention and process and crafting narrative has been very central to, to what we do. Uh, and I think that, that it's a great segue into what we're doing in the NFT space. I think we've really tried to approach it as a culture story as opposed to a technology story. Even uh, mm. the very first conversation that we had with Dolce & Gabbana, literally the first thing that we told them uh, was, if you take away nothing else from this conversation, take away this. The story about NFTs is one of culture, not one of technology. Uh, and we knew that that was really important because if we walked into that conversation by talking about crypto and Bitcoin and Ether and blockchain, uh, it would just be something that didn't 
didn't land well, didn't resonate. Uh, but right. we did realize that what these brands and these designers and, and really artists understand is creation and culture. Uh, and so as soon as we framed it in, in that way, that's when the light bulb moment happened. Uh, and we were able to uh, convey to, to them as a brand that because it's about culture, because it's about creation, it's actually no different from everything they've ever done. Uh, for forever, for 40 years as an organization, they've been about creation, they've been about culture, they've been about storytelling, they've been about um, consumer experience. Now it's just enabled by a new form of technology uh, in the same way that they as a brand use, um, use a platform like Instagram without needing to know the technology that goes under the hood behind the algorithm. It's really just mm -hmm. about visual storytelling and, and community. Uh, and so that framing, that narrative, uh, I, I think was, was really a critical part of getting us off the ground. Uh, and I think it was aided by the fact that we, we just understood well uh, the power of narrative. So Nick, talk to us about the why for UNXD, right? There's so many NFT platforms out there. You know, what is the purpose of UNXD specifically when it comes to the NFT space? Because again, there are so many different types of NFTs uh, that are are out there that you know people can say, well, why don't you just all use a platform like OpenSea, for example, right? So, tell us about the why for UNXD. Uh, I think it's the NFT space is going to be a well, already is a huge space, and I think for us, it's kind of like um, the greatest paints and the greatest painters. I forget if I'm I'm butchering the quote there a little bit. Um, but it's not about uh, mass reach and a mass market, but it's about um, reaching a higher quality product. And I think we spend a lot of time thinking about the value of the NFTs that we're creating with the brands that we work with. Um, going back to that, the whole thesis here, going into creating culture, creating culture through narrative. Um, you know, there's a reason why. Uh, people are excited about Harry Potter and everything like that. Um, you know, that's people are excited yeah. by the by seeing that movie, and so that's why they want to participate in that community and have you know items and, and tokens related to that universe that people are creating through through the media that they're interacting with. Um, and I think that's something actually that a lot of brands um, and particularly fashion brands can borrow from. And in that, the digital medium is so much more expressive than what you get from like window displays and, and things like that in the real world, it's that now we can invite people um, to take part in a story that um, develops over the course of months or, or even a whole entire year where they can play a role in, in, in what's going on. I think that's something that's exciting about um, getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but in the, in the Jacob & Co. Um, drop that we're working on. So it's really about creating high quality a high quality product powered by um, NFTs um, with uh, with some of the highest quality brands out there. And I think that's really the distinction is it's it's not about, um, I think we define ourselves more by what we don't do than by what we do do in some ways as, mm. as a marketplace. Well, I mean, Shasha, you already mentioned the DNG drop and probably by now are sick and tired of, uh, you know, talking about <laughs> what the initial drop was like. But I think for this audience, um, it's important to at least dive a little bit through that to set some context for all the other engagements that you have, uh, you know, going forward with DNG, right? It's not just one debut drop. There you go. Moving on to another brand. It's building up a relationship uh, with these existing fashion brands, but in different ways. 
right? And I think, you know, to your point, Nick, that's the beauty of all these digital experiences. So Shashi, your relationship, right, through Nervora with fashion brands like DNG kind of dates back, you know, many, many years. Um, and you've mentioned in a previous interview that this debut drop represented a very historic moment for the future of fashion and culture, right? And so set the scene for us in terms of what the boardroom conversations were like, right, when you were pitching. You, you mentioned a little bit early on, but you know, when it came to that light bulb moment, I'm sure there were things that happened afterwards that really got them to basically give the green light to say, let's do this with a new platform called UNXD, right? So shed some light there. Yeah, it, it's it's kind of funny because this is going to sound a little bit unbelievable almost. It was really surreal, the experience of, of getting them to, to the starting line. Uh, it was literally one conversation that we had with them and a 24-hour period. And then they decided to to go into it. And this uh, is perhaps a little bit of an outlier, but we have to give them a great deal of credit for having this really intrinsic feeling or sensation of adventurism in going into the space with us. Of course, it was aided by the fact that we'd worked with, with them as an organization for a decade. And so there was some amount of established credibility there. Uh, I think the aspect of narrative and framing was really critical, getting them to getting them past the no, uh, you know, for, for anything that is new and you're trying it for the first time, it's always easier to figure out a reason why not to do something rather mm -hmm. than why you should do it. So I think getting past the no was really critical. So first was disarming the, the fear associated with uh, jumping into a space like, like crypto, which was a space that they as, as a brand had not experienced before and luxury as a category is not typically the earliest adopter of new technology so the framing of it was was really critical uh, i think we got to the right the right people um and the project was personally approved by domenico dolce and stefano gabbana and again within 24 hours of us first pitching them uh, mm. so that was that was a little bit of an unreal uh, or surreal experience getting there but when we started the project with them we really had two very important rules of engagement, so to speak, uh, that I think underpin everything that we are doing, not just with them as an organization, but with every other brand that we're working with. So the first, the first rule that we had with them was that if they wanted to go on this journey with us into the space, they had to be willing to dive in headfirst and dive in all the way rather than just dipping their toes in the water. And so this meant making a very deep internal commitment as well, well as a very explicit public commitment this, that this wasn't just going to be a single drop or a test, but rather mm -hmm. the first in a series of things that we were going to do. And to give you one specific example of that, even before the first launch happened, we pre-announced what the second launch was going to be just to very publicly commit that this whether this this drop worked or not, there was already a commitment of what was going to to follow. And I think that really endeared them as an organization to the community because it showed that they were willing to come into the space for the right reasons and to experiment in public. Uh, and even if it failed, there was already a commitment of what was going to follow. The second thing that I think was really critical was finding the root
root kernel of authenticity and what it meant to bring that brand and everything they stood for and everything that they've created for almost 40 years authentically into the digital space. Uh, and here what we found after spending some time thinking about it was this layer of physicality was really critical in bringing mm -hmm. that brand to the space and ended up linking to everything that we also believed as people, uh, kind of alluding to something that you mentioned earlier is that we we feel that uh, people in their and their zealousness for digital maximal, maximalism have been a little bit too absolutist about a digital only future. And that's just something that we as individuals and as a company just 100% don't believe in. Uh, and so a lot of what we've tried to do, one, starting with Dolce & Gabbana, but with, with a lot of the brands that we're working with now is bringing the real world uh, and physical aspects, whether it's product or experiences into the actual ecosystem of what we are creating. Uh, and so th those two aspects, the authenticity and the commitment to the space, I think really underpinned everything that we were doing with Dolce & Gabbana. And that was the foundation for the initial form of ideation. Once we got past that, this was the framework that we needed to follow, mm -hmm. it became a lot easier to go and then ideate. Uh, and where we ended up landing was we opted to start with not just a basic fashion collection, but really the pinnacle of creativity in the fashion industry, which is couture. Uh, and couture items are typically handmade, bespoke items that are only ever created once uh, and are created by people, not by machines. And so we actually felt that uh, this would be a really interesting starting point because it was simultaneously the most elevated starting point uh, in terms of craftsmanship in terms of quality and also in terms of price, but also arguably the most difficult nut to crack in bringing that industry into the space because it was the, the sector of the industry that was so um, little associated with technology. And the idea mm -hmm. of bringing that into a fundamentally digital realm um, was a, a big big bridge to cross. Uh, and so that's kind of where we started. Um, and we just leaned very, very hard into the space. I think we ended up making a lot of uh, a lot of good decisions that seemed maybe small at the time. We had incredible support from the entire organization starting top down from the designers themselves who personally designed the collection with us and a real commitment across the organization to to create with us. Uh, and so I'll probably pause here for a moment. I think it's maybe uh, good to have Nick's point of view on this as well, and then maybe some, some follow-up questions on it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> no, I, the, the putting together the Dolce & Gabbana drop was, was really interesting. I, I think just overall, it, it, um, when going through and implementing something, it forced us to focus on, I think, what we think of NFTs, what, where we see value in the, I hate saying just NFTs because it's, the NFT is the technology, once again, as we're talking about, well, like, I think in the future, we're not going to be referencing NFTs um, in particular. It's just going to be digital uh, items um, and digital ownership. Um, but going through and, and going through that exploration with ourselves and, and with the brand to find out um, what really re resonated from a narrative perspective, what really resonated from a collector's pr perspective as well. And I think that goes back to kind of our fundamental value triangle that we have um, here. There are really three legs to the tripod, and this goes into our whole non-maximalist thesis, which is we believe in kind of a, a digital, um, physical, and experiential elements tied to everything that we're doing. 
Um, mm -hmm. And it's really like you can have a very high quality digital item, you can have a very high quality physical item. And actually we found when we're going through the process of, of digital creation, how similar the creation of the digital objects were to the couture objects. You know, if you're spending four months going through and sewing um, together, uh, you know, couture garments, um, you know, you can spend just as long going through adjusting UV maps and um, creating new textures that, that go on there. Um, it takes a, mm -hmm. an incredible amount of skill to do these things. Um, any, anybody in the space knows how, how hard it can be and anybody trying to hire in the space knows how hard it can be to find um, people that are, are, are high quality. Um, and then they really, both of those uh, spaces meet in, in the experiential layer. And um, you can have digital experiences, you can have physical experiences. Um, and we commonly, uh, commonly in our own lives, um, they intersect, but I think we don't even really notice it. Um, you know, we are porting our in re our real lives onto into the digital space whenever we're posting to Instagram, and then we're using face filters and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, and it's only appropriate that it move the opposite way too. That now in in Web three, where you can actually own something, that that ownership translates into something in the real world, um, and that's why kind of the the excitement that you can get from now um, having entry to uh, you know, each of the NFTs that, that were part of Colección and Genesee um, opened up uh, access to the um, next one or two years of their couture show, um, which is this fantastic three-day event that they have in a um, in a prominent city in, in, in Italy. And so you have uh, the community of, you know, traditional um, fashion fans from Dolce Gabbana there, along with now this new crypto uh, contingent of, of fans who will be able to enjoy that in person as well. So all, all of these pieces came together and it was, it was quite, um, quite a lot of work getting it all to happen, but in, in the end, we're incredibly excited with, with where we ended up. Yeah, no, can't imagine, you know, that entire execution process, right? So from that first conversation where you got the green light within 24 hours up until the launch how much time was that in total Two it days. was so yeah no it, it was just it was just a couple of months so we we started working with them in may and then we uh we first did a teaser drop on july 14th and then we unveiled the collection at the end of august in venice and mm -hmm. then the collection went live uh, on auction in late in late september so it was a few months overall um and where most of the time spent was actually just on creating the pieces themselves uh, we ended up spending something like fifteen thousand hours of cumul cumulative human effort to create wow. both the digital and physical pieces uh, which is just an incredible amount of time uh, and attention to detail went into creating these these products and some of the physical items actually took five thousand hours individually uh, of human time to, to create entirely you. by yeah entirely by hand no machines at all uh, and really at the end of the day, I think one of the things that, that we really leaned into from a narrative perspective was that the collection itself was a celebration of humanity in a way. It was a celebration of human ingenuity, of human creation, uh, of human craftsmanship and the things that humans could do that machines couldn't yet do or can't yet do on their own. Mm -hmm. And to even bring that concept into a fundamentally digital medium was just a really interesting contrast. Absolutely. I mean, Nick, you were quoted in an article saying, you know, 
in relation to this drop that this will pave the way for more brands into the field because they will see the power of digital ownership um, that can create spirit brand and opportunities for brand matching. So was there any chatter among just like the fashion industry from your network at Nervora, for example, uh, after this debut drop? Just people, you know, trying to ask you a whole bunch of questions about how they could also be doing something similar with you guys? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think it's it's focused as a, it's become a focal point for people. So now it's, I think it was, well, it was historical at the time. Um, and I think it continues to be a, a reference point, I think both in the quality of the, the actual imagery done itself. And I, I also think the thinking around it, uh, the tough part is the NFT space is, or Web3 space rather, is such a quickly evolving area that um, I think that kind of what was done even a couple months ago um, is now changing, um, is, you know, now kind of, well, not old, but um, being refined again, because there are new mm -hmm. themes and new new opportunities that come up. So yeah, we're, we, it's definitely opened up a lot of doors for us. Um, uh, and I, I think it's, um, going to continue being a, a case study for a lot of people looking to get into the space uh, just themselves. Yeah, we, we were fortunate, I think, to receive really positive coverage across the spectrum, um, both from traditional media and crypto media and, and on social as well, um, which, which has helped. Uh, we had some really big features that came out in Vogue globally and in the New York Times that I think have been referenced by, by a lot of people. But then also, and where I think we were most enthusiastic was in being able to connect to a community of people that traditionally weren't necessarily luxury buyers or pre-existing luxury buyers. And the entire, uh, the entire base of collectors that participated in this drop were actually crypto natives and not pre-existing Dolce Gabbana clients or traditional luxury customers. And, and that, I think, was the, the byproduct of some some good decisions that we made to really make the entire collection and the the narrative and the approach feel very crypto native. Um, but ultimately, I think the biggest success of the of the drop uh, was in creating a really native bridge between the luxury world and the the crypto world, and releasing something that somehow felt native to both audiences, even though the starting point was um collectors that were that were crypto native and this is i think what has made it so historic and what makes it and uh, an inflection point for the community overall and th this was our best case scenario i think we we hoped that if we somehow succeeded that it would be seen as an inflection point and the start of a new era in the in the digital fashion movement which it's proving to to be the case um, but we were we were somewhat facetious about it like we we knew that we had the opportunity and we, we sort of jokingly told people that if things went um, as successfully as we thought they could go it would be a historic moment for the entire ecosystem or if we failed we were going to fuck it up for everyone uh, and fortunately fortunately we didn't do that um, yeah. but uh, that's always that's always the risk of, of trying something for the first time because when we did this collection there honestly wasn't really a reference point for what we were doing. There had not been a, a luxury brand that had done a drop like this. There had not been a brand period that had done a digital and physical drop like this. Uh, and even the price points that we ended up landing at were, mm -hmm. were very high. Uh, and overall, the, the nine piece collection sold for 
1885 e which unit for unit makes it the the highest price collection that's ever sold period before and and since so it was kind of a finger in the air moment like it's we were out on a out on a ledge by ourselves trying to to find our way in the darkness while blindfolded <laughs> if i can torture a bunch of analogies at the same time and somehow yeah. thing, things went went our way but um yeah, I think we feel just very humbled by how everything has, has played out. Nick, when you were building out UNXD, what type of considerations did you have, you know, for the front end, right? The the UI that us as consumers within the crypto space um, all have gripes about all the time for different protocols that we're using, um, you know, different projects that we might, uh, you know, view as tools for, uh, you know, buying and selling cryptos, for example, um, being on the technical side of things and making sure the facilitation of a drop like this, you know, goes very smoothly. What were some of those considerations for you? Well, nothing goes um, totally smoothly, but um, I think one of the, the things that um, well, one of the opportunities that this presented was trying to create um, a platform that expressed the the kinds of values that we are interested in in promoting. So that I think core to the um, uh, core to the integration that we have on our on our platform is the is reflecting the physical, digital, and experiential elements tied to each of the NFTs. Um, and also, I I think we. That's from the, the consumer's perspective, but from the brand perspective, we wanted to create an environment that was um, safe for the creator, that helped celebrate that creator, um, made them the focal point. I know that our site can be rather boring now, I think maybe for an individual, um, somebody who's a, um, a DGen and, and going through and flipping things on um, on, on OpenSea, but kind of our um, our projects aren't really built for for flipping. Um, they're They're built for collecting and, and enjoying. Um, I mean, if there are these, these, uh, these tokens have a lot of value attached to them. So, so naturally if, if people are going to sell them, um, that's also going to be a, a, a space for, for people as well. So I think it comes down to giving, um, a richer experience around the NFT itself. So, um, we have a, we have a, strong focus, not only on these properties, but also the provenance and the story behind the item itself. Um, I think that was revealed in Collezione Genesee. We have a whole, we had, you know, a page where we had the, the narrative itself um, for the entire collection and then the narrative around each of the items. Um, we're not focused on having just a single um, item or a single image or video representing the, the token overall, although that happens when you get to a lot of the basic services, you know, naturally the, there's this, um, there's this tension between kind of, I think when you look at, at the standards level, what all the platforms show based on what they can rely from, uh, like the ERC-721 standard and what's going on with the metadata. But um, because this is our own space in, in a curated space, we can go much deeper and pull out richer imagery, pull out richer photographs, pull out richer um, narrative uh, around those tokens themselves. Um, and actually enhance the experience around it so that um, 
uh, things like token redemption are reflected in, in the platform when people are going to be going through and, and doing that as well. Um, and these are kinds of the enhanced experiences that I think people collecting high value luxury items are going to uh, desire. Mm -hmm. um, and it's going to make it a much more pleasant space to uh, to buy and to interact with the NFTs. I think then kind of your your standard your standard marketplace. Yeah, I, th I think really like we've tried to be as simple as possible with with the way in which the site works. At least when we when we launched, like we started with a a rich functional. Um, experience and then stripped back everything that we ended up feeling was superfluous to a point where we were intentionally very minimalist uh, in the approach. I think aesthetically, our approach is very minimalist, uh, almost like, you know, kind of as a joke, the world isn't black and white, but our site is. <laughs> and we, we, we really tried to take that, take that aesthetic. So there's, there's a lot of white space on the site. We try not to do more than, than needs to be done um, because what we want to be center stage is actually the creativity of, of the collections that we're, that we're dropping. Um, so we've gone in with, with large imagery and, and really trying to reflect the, the cultural context and the cultural provenance of, of everything that we, that we do. And as Nick mentioned earlier, I think we really do believe that we're defined a lot more by what we say no to um, than what we say yes to. And that reflects itself in, in even how the site looks and feels. Well, I would say the minimalist ethos also is reflected in your name, UNXD. Um, phonetically, <laughs> please tell the audience, how do we pronounce this? You are pronouncing it correctly. It is four letters that have a, a backstory that we haven't yet revealed. Uh, sadly, we won't reveal it today. Um, but we also really love four-letter domains. Uh, it's kind of like the original OG move is to have a short domain with a .com rather than like right. uh, .xyz or .io. Uh, and so we went out and, and we got the .com as well. Nice. Well, you know, so much has happened since this Dolce & Gabbana uh, debut drop. On Twitter now, if you look at UNXD's Twitter account, your own personal accounts, you'll see a lot of chatter around your latest partnership with watchmaker Jacob & Co. Um, and there's this really interesting metaverse theme as well within this collection. Um, but as I always like to do is understand the backstory starting from why Jacob & Co, a watchmaker? It, it makes sense because it's fashion, right? It's not clothes, but it's, it's watches. Um, but what, is, what, what aligns value-wise you know, for you guys and for a brand like Jacob & Co? For me, it's two, two things. Uh, today, I think Jacob & Co is actually arguably the most creative watchmaker that exists on earth today. And if you look at the way in which they design, uh, it's really about sitting at the intersection of creativity and technology and trying to create something that feels like it should be impossible until they actually go out and create it, which I think there is, is rooted very deeply in the spirit uh, of the of the crypto movement and, and the NFT movement. But the second part, uh, which I think also is a really strong parallel to the crypto movement, is that Jacob & Co. as a brand has always been seen as an outsider in a way. The, the traditional world of Swiss watchmaking is actually an even more insular world than the luxury fashion world. 
And here you have uh, an immigrant that came to the U.S. and just by his own hard work and creativity turned himself into a brand. The brand today is 36 years old. Uh, it's based in New York, manufactures everything in Geneva. Um, and we feel that, that there's a very strong parallel between just the ethos of being an outsider and just wanting to create and the spirit of the crypto movement overall. And so after we, we'd actually worked with Jacob and Co before um, in, our, in our background with Bo, we'd, we'd uh, been connected to the brand. Uh, but Jacob's son, Benjamin, took over the company as CEO last year, early last year. He's a young guy, he's 28 or 29, um, mm -hmm. and is just incredibly ambitious and a digital native himself. And so one of the first big moves that he made as CEO was embarking on this NFT journey with us. And we spent the last several months producing what we think is just an absolutely mind-blowing space-spending collection, uh, which we are teasing out in, in small drips um, to build a little bit of the anticipation uh, around it. We just dropped a teaser last week, and uh, pretty soon we'll be dropping the collection overall, but the, the physical pieces have actually gone into production overall, uh, sorry, already. And I think when people experience it, uh, they're just going to be absolutely blown away by both the, the creativity and the wizardry that's behind uh, this collection. Well, talk about Jacob and Co's connection with hip hop, because when you told me that during our earlier conversation, I was like, oh, wow, you know, they, they have been very, very tied and in the know uh, and on brand with culture, right? Um, so yeah, tell our audience about that. So Jacob was designing in New York uh, in, in the 90s, uh, and one of his first big high-profile clients was uh, Notorious B.I.G., who actually gave him the moniker Jacob the Jeweler. Uh, and he ended up becoming really famous within the hip-hop movement. In fact, today there are something like 50 different rap and hip-hop songs that actually reference him as Jacob the Jeweler, including songs by people like, like Kanye West. Uh, and so for a long time, it actually became seen as a mark of success uh, in the music space, in the, uh, in the sports world, to be able to afford to shop with with Jacob. Uh, and that's, that was 20, 20, 30 years ago. And, and since then, I think Jacob has kind of evolved uh, beyond that, but still he is incredibly close to, to that community. Um, these people are his, are his clients today. Uh, and of course he never forgets from, from where he came. Um, mm -hmm. But I think that's one of the things that really aligns as well with why we love the brand because of its cultural footprint. Nick, how is, now facilitating this drop, you know, maybe different from the Dolce and Gabbana drop. I I don't know. I think the thing I noticed from the beginning kind of was the how they're the same, and I think it's just how um, how involved the the core teams are with the creation of everything that the brands produce, um, and how visionary and how flexible they can be. And I think those two things go together and are really critical with the stuff that we do. Because once again. You know, the space moves so quickly, but at the same time, we're trying to um, build something that um, reveals and, and evolves over the course of a year or, you know, our, our, our view is not just um, the next few months, but actually thinking about, okay, where are we going, you know, a year, two years, five years, 10 years down the road, just because, yeah. you know, from being in the space myself, like I'm just kind of sitting on on NFTs because I, I, you know, it's binary. It's either it, it succeeds or 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 it, it doesn't. And I'm I'm a huge believer in the space naturally. Um, so working with Jacob and Co has 
been a tremendous creative experience because they bring all of their experience from the uh, jewelry and, and watchmaking space, which are these incredibly um, intricate uh, um, and, and delicate mechanisms, but then kind of spotlighted by this uh, creative execution, this jewelry that they have on 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 top, um, and it, I think one of the areas where it's been a little bit easier has been the fact that the watch space really does work in in 3D and is is used to doing that, right? Um, doing that a, a already, so that kind of has already created a a point of uh, easier of uh, easier communication there between the two of us. So we're kind of speaking the same language and meeting from the traditional and, and now the digital space. Mm. Um, and and then finally, kind of, they're a very um, inventive. I mean, they're a little bit more rock and roll, I would say, and and punk than than the other watch brands. Um, and that's been an area that's been really exciting, and I think has allowed us to do things that we wouldn't. Uh, do things on on the narrative side that we wouldn't be able to do otherwise, um, and bring them to the NFT space in in an authentic way, which I think is something that we've been trying to do with brands in the past, as as well as every mm -hmm. brand that we work with in the future. Because so much of the stuff that I think we saw out there in the beginning wasn't really an authentic expression of um, the brand's uh, creativity. There were kind of collaborations around. 3D uh, game characters, movies, and things like that. Whereas we want to try and take um, the creativity that's core to a brand and and bring it out there. And we can really do that with with Jacob and Co. Um, and yeah, I'm just super excited myself. I, I mean, I was I've always been a fan of the watches, and I think I was blown away by how they were able to still remix and um, evolve the the uh, the. The, the visual aesthetic that they have into something that's a really special collection. There's one thing that Nick said there that I think is also really, really important to dive into a little bit deeper, um, which is this aspect of thinking long-term and not just thinking in an isolated drop perspective. And this is one of the things that actually ends up being a forcing function of working with brands that have been, that have been established for decades. They, they don't think over the next two or three months, but they, they're forced to think over a longer-term period and what makes sense for them as a brand longer term uh, and as an organization longer term rather than what might just make money in the short term. And that's actually something that I think there's not enough of in the space. Sure. Uh, and we really love being forced into that mentality where we just by default, we're thinking over a much longer time scale. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that ethos, I think, really does apply to things much beyond the NFT work, as you mentioned, right? Um, in crypto, especially now, you know, markets corrected a bit, um, you know, people are hounding the whole, you know, things like NFTs are dead, you know, and, and, and this market is too young, right? So there's always going to be people who find reasons to say, look, the progress that's been made, it's not, it's not real. Uh, or, you know, look at, you know, how many challenges a space like crypto has to come up against in order to prove itself. And I think with these types of, um, you know, drops that you guys are doing, it's continuing to push the boundary that says, look, there are uh, traditional companies or companies in traditional spaces uh, like fashion that really do want to take that risk, but, you know, not to see it as, hey, here's a PR play for us that will make us look good, you know, over this next cycle uh, or this next season, 
but one that says, look, this is going to be a major impact in the way that the next generation of consumers actually engage with, you know, our brand. Um, and we want to make sure to test those waters early, right? Early and probably often as well. Now that, you know, they have a few validation points, right? Like DNG was the first one, but um, now they're, might be more and more companies uh, actually making NFT drops part of the plan and not just an expense line that says, I guess we have to try it just to see what it's like. Um, so thinking of NFT drops as a strategy, um, you know, might be something that brands go to platforms like UNXD for, right? Um, so yeah, I'm curious to hear if you guys have specific thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think this is really the importance of the, the first drop that we did. Uh, it succeeding, I think, has paved the way for a lot of other brands to to enter the space and showing that it's possible to do something. Of course, I, I think the reason why it was successful is because we went about it in the right way. And the commercial success of it was a byproduct of going at it the right way rather mm -hmm. than the, the starting goal. Um, there are just with with every with every new space there's there's a natural adoption curve um there are some brands that are just more capable of and this is not this is not a value judgment but there are just some brands that are more capable of being more adventurous earlier uh, and are willing to take take a risk uh, and there's some brands that for lots of good reasons are not ready to to do that uh, and that's that's fine I, I think really what we want to try to continue to do is show that there are meaningful contributions that historical brands can take into the space and it's not just a space that's going to be dominated by new web3 only entrants mm -hmm. of course there's a role for, for that as well uh, and the more that we do that, the more that we think, uh, A, it will give a reason for other brands to enter the space, whether or not it's with us, and B, also show the the Web3 upstarts that there's actually a path to the physical world as well. Uh, this this pathway is not, is not uh, unidirectional. Mm -hmm. What we're hoping to see is traditional brands from the physical world enter the digital space and the the reverse as well, uh, where you'll see digital only brands that want to go back into the real world. Nick, any thoughts on, on that? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I would say um, uh, absolutely. I, I think for the, the space to scale beyond, you know, what is it, a uh, hundred million wallets or I forget what the, the up-to-date number is, but the scale from that to like a billion, two billion people being involved with this, um, it's going it's going to naturally involve brands and people from the traditional world um and i think that that's good for the space overall i think it's a it's a legitimating factor to it it's something that um is hard because i think it just i remember like when blogging started up um people are like oh there's so much crap published to the web the internet is is crap but that's because um you just had tools that made it easier to publish something um, and so there was because just so were, much more. They were, <laughs> they were reading my articles. Because they were yeah, reading but... your stories. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but there's just so much more content than there was in the past. And so naturally, I mean, there's there's a lot of, anybody can make a, can mint an NFT. So naturally there's going to be a lot of, there's a lot of stuff to watch out for there. Um, and there are a lot of projects that may not um, deliver on, on the big vision. I think that there are a lot of what I call cargo cult projects out there that try and recreate the magic of another um, 
uh, of another drop um, in order to try and lure collectors in um, without being able to deliver on the, the value or the, the thing that's special that makes that work. I mean, I think this happened tremendously and is still happening with, with Board Ape Yacht Club um, and, and punks. Um, but I, I think for, for us, I think one of the things that makes us different and makes the way that we're working with brands and what we try to educate brands on is um, looking at things from the crypto collector perspective. And I think that's very different too. I, I mean, I could go on all, all day about, about these subtle differences that, that make, um, uh, make a, a real difference in, in how a collection is perceived and, and received. And I think that that's really what we what we're looking at. We're looking at okay, well, where where is this market going to go um, in the long run, and what are the things that we can do today to create value for the the uh, the collectors? It's great value for the brand, and what kinds of interactions can we do today with the stuff that we have that can then be incorporated into what comes um, the tools and and um, uh, that are created in, in the future. Um, and I think that that's very exciting because um, uh, it, there's so much that's unknown um, and there's so much that can be created and, and, and remixed today. So we've had much more, I think the, the sorry to, to get back to this, I think the way that we're framing it is it's been very, it's a very different shift of thinking uh, that you're going to be selling crypto to people who are fans of fashion versus selling fashion to people who are fans of crypto. So if we mm. take fashion and put it into a crypto perspective, um, it's, it's been much more successful and understandably than it is, has been taking crypto and putting it into a fashion perspective fashion because world. people who are fashion mm. fans, they appreciate that they're not spending all, all day on Twitter. They're experiencing fashion in, in the physical worlds um, and the events that they have there. Whereas for us, we're thinking about it from the crypto perspective and how does this enhance the, the life and the personal aesthetic, you know, the aesthetic that people tie to their identities um, in, in, in the crypto space. And I think that's served us well um, so far. And I, th I think it's going to be one of those core principles that um, serves us and the space overall uh, for years in the future. Well, I mean, drop some alpha on this podcast. Nick, you have to talk to us about all the other differences that you mentioned. Name like two more. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, I, I think it really comes down to just noticing these um, so like looking at the digital, looking at the crypto space, looking at the, at the digital space and seeing like how it's similar and how it's different. I, I don't know. I think when people are talking about the, the metaverse, I, I think people are also too maximalist and thinking that it's going to be um, a single uh, metaverse that we're waiting for, you know, Mark Zuckerberg to come out with something and, <laughs> and release a new product. And it's, it's going to just be there in its full form. I, I think people are too... People don't notice that um, Netflix, uh, you know, didn't replace uh, movie theaters overnight, or or didn't replace TV overnight. It happens in these small little bits that um, it just becomes a more appealing alternative. And I think that's what's happening in in the Web three space and in digital spaces is that, like, we're here talking on a podcast right now and and engaging in a, a, a digital space because it's much better than um, me flying from California all the way over to Dubai and sitting down across the table um, and, yeah. and recording and sending a CD to everybody. Um, and, and so 
like uh, we're going to have cases where if you want to listen to your favorite artists, you're going to go and go into a, a, a VR experience or an auditory experience um, where uh, I guess 3D and digital really excels in creating these fantastical visual and auditory experiences. And um, that's going to be better than getting in your car, paying $300 for a, a, a ticket and, and going to a concert. You're going to be able to to use digital in your life and incorporate it as a as a as an alternative to doing something a different way. Um, maybe we'll get to that point where you you know that um, snow crash vision of uh, the metaverse where you plug in and conduct business uh, directly in a VR headset. But that takes you know that forsakes a lot of the wonderful tactile things around the real world that we uh, really enjoy about. Um, about fashion these days um, and that we want to incorporate in what we're in what we're doing and i think it's kind of like uh uh we've discovered that the rarest nft of all is kind of your your time and your place and so that's um yes. <laughs> yeah we we have uh we have that kind of um experience to to um to, sh to share with people uh, as well through the drops that, that we do, that it's not just about owning something, but then also about participating in, in, in something as well. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Well, we're going to wrap up here, but I can't let you guys go before talking about this very big metaverse fashion week that you have, uh, you know, and are putting on with Decentraland. Uh, so Shashi, talk to us a little bit about what to expect here when it's happening. Um, super exciting. It's taking place between March 24th and 27th. Uh, we'd actually gotten connected to the team at Decentraland back in July of last year um, when a good friend of ours connected us uh, with them right after we announced. And we spent a few months chatting with them about how to partner to catalyze the, the, fashion, um, the fashion ecosystem. They have a lot of great partners already on Decentraland brands like uh, Boson Protocol that are big in the space and are, are helping to activate the fashion sector. So we've kind of all come together um, to launch a format that we think will feel familiar to people, which is a fashion week. And just by the name itself, you kind of have a feeling for what it might, might be. Uh, and something that kind of resembles something that people are familiar with in the real world, but activates in a way that feels very digitally native. So we have a series of brands that are going to do different types of activations and shows uh, and different formats of shows within within Decentraland uh, and then a full slate of programming that will exist around it. Um, there are things that are going to, to be musical experiences, there are pop-ups, um, there are exhibitions, there are talks that are happening all to create a, a really, really packed four-day uh, agenda of, of things. And like the first drop that we did, I think it's going to end up paving the way for more brands, more creators to be in the space. And that's really, I think, what the uh, overarching or underlying goal is mm -hmm. for, for doing this to, to begin with. And in the long run, I think you're going to see um, formats like this take place not just in Decentraland, but lots of different metaverses simultaneously. Amazing. Nick, Shashi, appreciate you guys for hopping on the podcast and can't wait to see what's next for UNXD. Thanks very much, Leslie. Thanks for having Thanks, us. Thanks, Leslie. Hey there, since you got to the end, I'm guessing you liked the video. And that's probably because we don't just turn on a camera and film. We work really hard on getting the narrative flow just right. And that's why many finance companies are actually now hiring Real Vision to make videos for them. One of our recent client videos just hit 100,000 organic views on YouTube. 
and there were no kittens in sight. So if you want to find out how Real Vision can make a video for your company, just email us at customvideo at realvision.com.